This is Bill McLive, iHeartRadio's talk for the Space Coast. With today's Common Sense on Common Radio. Here's Bill Mick. O'Galley Electric brings you hour three of this Tuesday morning on the 18th of January, 2022. Nice to have you along on 92.7 FM WMMB. You want to engage in the conversation as we talk to Plausibly Live, the Dave Bowman Show podcast host. Dave Bowman, well, you do that at 321-768-1240. It's an hour or our week that we have dubbed Dave Does History. And uh, from, uh, I wanted to say Spokane, he's <laughs> Silverdale, Washington. Dave Bowman, glad you're with us this morning. How are you, my friend? Let me be absolutely clear. It is not me. I do not run anywhere. <laughs> That's good to hear. With or without a dog. I, I ran with a dog once in Modesto. But that was ran naked, as I recall. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So maybe it's me and not you. Maybe that's where we go. Nonetheless, um, Dave uh, loves digging into history. He loves digging into the Constitution. He combines those things all the time. And I've linked up for you at BillMick.com, uh, the podcast that Dave originally did on this topic. And it's tied into things we're talking about right now in the U.S., which is the cool thing about taking a look at history and seeing maybe there is nothing new under the sun. Dave, what do you have for us on this Tuesday? You mentioned last hour, Bill, a story about the Biden administration threatening to use executive orders to control policing. Yes. Why is that a bad idea? Because it's not how our system of government set up to run, Dave. Are you sure about that? I mean, it seems yes. to me like it is set up to run that way. I mean, every president under the sun now signs executive orders, right? Even, even Trump signs executive Absolutely. orders. So how did we get but those to, are to be, those are to be directives to the executive employees under his control, under the administration's control, as opposed to that of Congress or the courts. But it, it doesn't, work, it doesn't work out that way. Does it? These, these executive orders have the force of law for all practical purposes. I mean. We're, we're talking about an OSHA mandate here. We're talking about, this is, how did we get to that point where executive orders can do this and nobody, certainly nobody in Congress seems to bat an eye about it. I, I didn't see it on the list of Republican uh, priorities to, priorities. Yeah. to do anything about it. So clearly they like it. The number one question I get asked, I mean, hands down, I have a list of top five questions I get asked all the time, but the number one question is, Dave, when did the Constitution start to go off the rails? When did it start to go bad? When The minute it was signed. Literally the minute it was ratified. Um, uh-huh. there's, a, there's a whole lot of ways we can look at this. But when I saw the Supreme Court ruling last uh, Thursday, was it? Yeah. About the, the mandate, striking down the mandate, I was reminded once again of how long we've been dealing with this idea of executive orders and as I like to put it, uh, how to blame somebody else for what I want done. Let's do something that I want done and then figure out a way to blame somebody else for it because that's what our government is really best at. The, uh, the SCOTUS mandate strike down had this sentence in it. And this is really, I read the whole thing, but this is really the only sentence that matters. Quote, OSHA has never before imposed such a mandate, nor has Congress. 
Indeed, although Congress has enacted significant legislation addressing the COVID-19 pandemic, it has declined to enact any measure similar to what OSHA has promulgated here. Unquote. I think we all kind of agree with that, right? Yeah. Congress has, I don't know what significant legislation they're talking about other than uh, giving stimulus checks and paying for uh, tests and the likes. Funding of vaccine right. research and the like, yeah. But, but they have declined to enact any measure similar to uh, the, the vaccine mandate. Now, you could argue as to why Congress hasn't done that. And you could argue that it's an emergency, you know, isn't that what the executive's for? But the remarkable thing about this sentence is that this sentence is a callback all the way back to the very beginning of our country, the very beginning of our constitutional republic, in which different branches of the government go out of their way to blame each other so that they don't get any responsibility for it. The, Congre the, the Supreme Court could have just struck it down and said, hey, it's unconstitutional. That's our job. But they didn't do that. All they said was, it's Congress's job. Why is OSHA doing it? Right? And yet, mm -hmm. for the last, at least since 1900, we have been governed by executive order after executive order after executive order because Congress doesn't seem to want to make laws to do things. So that makes it Congress's fault, right? Since the Supreme Court well, said. at least in that, as far as that goes, yes. Well, the Supreme Court said it's Congress's fault, and a lot of people probably agree with that. And the real question is, why is it this way? To find that answer, we have to step back in time to the Wayback Machine, as you call it, Mr. Uh -huh. Peabody here. We got to go back to the, to, to the earliest days of the country, eight years after the Constitution had been ratified. Now, eight years after the Constitution had been ratified, Thomas Jefferson was the president. Uh, James Madison was getting ready to become the president. Uh, these are people who were there at the founding and the framing of the country. Now, Jefferson was not part of the framing, but, uh, but, you, but you get the idea. These are people who understood intimately what the Constitution said, what it meant, right? And mm -hmm. yet, just a few years before, we had passed a law called the Alien and Sedition Act. Now, the Alien and Sedition Act of 1798, parts of which are still on the books and, in fact, were used I think last week to charge someone with sedition, finally. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. This law has been on the books since 1798, but the biggest part of that law, now again, remember, this was less than eight years after the Constitution had been ratified and the Bill of Rights had been ratified. That law made it a crime in this country, a crime, jailable, finable offense, felony offense, to criticize the federal government. That's not the United States 2022. That's the United States 1798. Okay. <laughs> doesn't we, sound like the country they thought they handed us, does it? No, it does not. And of course, when it came to appointing justices, the president at the time made a point to only appoint justices who supported that law. So they managed to find the law repeatedly constitutional, and they continued to put people in jail for criticizing the president and the government. Well, we would define that as a prerogative of the executive, right? Pick justices that you know, see the law the way you believe it should be administered. Right, but who, who approves the justices? The, the Senate. Hmm. In 1809, the, the, the world was a, was a dangerous place. The French and the British, particularly the British, the, the, the British are the worst offenders at this. 
were impressing United States citizens into their Navy. So they would stop a, a cargo ship, board the cargo ship, grab a bunch of people, a bunch of the, the American crew, and force them into the service of the, the Royal Navy. Essentially kidnap them, right? Mm-hmm. This is making the Congress of the United States, making the citizens of the United States a little mad. So they decide to, you know, kind of lean on Congress. Congress comes up with a brilliant idea. They pass a law that says if Britain and France continued to do this after a certain date, we will start seizing their ships, taking their cargoes, selling the cargoes and keeping the money. Neener, neener, neener. I like the idea. It sounds darn familiar for some reason. Dave, I need you to hang on for 60 seconds and then tell us the rest of the story. We pick it up in a minute on Bill McLive. Gatto's Tire and Auto Service been in uh, this community for 50-plus years, and there's one right across the street from my office, which I'm very thankful for. There's one close to you, too, multiple locations around the country, a local and family-owned business where there's an honest and safe environment. So you're somebody who doesn't necessarily like hanging around a garage. Ladies, I can understand the trepidation. Well, it's a place where you can go and enjoy and know that it's going to be a safe environment for you and yours. And what I like about Gatto's is they give you the straight scoop on your vehicle. You know I'm not a mechanical guy, but they give you honest recommendations on the repairs or maintenance for your vehicle because that's the demand from Gatto's. And while they are a local-owned entity, they have national benefits, things like warranties, quality parts and tires, and ASA certified technicians with an experienced staff at helping you get the right things for your vehicle. That's why, for me, you've got to go to Gatto's. Appreciate their sponsorship here on the program. Dave Bowman with us as we talk. take a look at history. So, Dave, Congress makes a law that says if the Brits are going to keep taking our ships, taking our people off of them, conscripting them basically into service, we're going to start taking their stuff and selling it and keeping the money. Neener, neener, neener. Yeah. Now, yeah. the problem with this law, Bill, is that even Congress is smart enough to figure out that this is essentially an act of war. And if they do this, Britain's likely to get upset and start shooting at people. So they got to figure out a way to pass this law, enact this law, make this law effective, and not get blamed for it. So they add... Politicians averting responsibility. How, how unique. Right. So they add, for the first time in our history, they add a, a, a section to the law that says, it's in section 19, says that it's up to the president to issue a finding that after a certain date, the British are still doing this. And if the president finds that they're still doing it, then the president decides that the law is in fact a law. Now oh, that's, that's rich. Now that's not what the legislative vesting clause says in article one, but... This is a, a a great workaround, right? Okay, let's blame the president, who, by the way, at this point, happens to be Thomas Jefferson. In, in very old England, an American businessman buys a bunch of stuff that he wants to ship to America to sell. And he rents a British ship to transport all this stuff from England to Nolens, Louisiana. Now, you can already probably see what's going to happen here. The ship sails. Uh-huh. The name of the ship is the Aurora. It sails. And while it's at sea, because this is a you know multi-month journey, the president issues his finding that Britain is still doing this and thus decides that we are going to steal, I'm sorry, impound cargoes. All right. And we'll have to leave it there. Dave will pick up the story. We'll let you play along when we come back in moments here on WMMB. The time is 826. 
With your daily dose of common sense, uncommon radio, here's Bill Mick. 321-768-1240 is O'Galley Electric Range of the Hour, where Dave does history. Dave Bowman with us from Plausibly Live, the Dave Bowman Show podcast. Dave giving us a look at the early history of the country relating to what's going on today. Supreme Court decisions, congressional passing the buck, and uh, an interesting story about the uh, early days of the country. You want in, it's 321-768-1240. And if you miss any of the show all day long, any day, plus the McNugget, plus our caller of the day that's selected totally on a whim after the show is done, well, you can catch those all in the podcast. At BillMick.com and on the Bill Mick Live iHeartRadio channel. So, Dave, we've, we've got an American businessman in uh, Great Britain who buys goods to bring back to the country. Uh, since the Brits have been stealing our, uh, soldier, our, our sailors off of our ships, we decide that America can confiscate goods off of British ships only if the president decides we're tired of what Britain's done and we're going we're gonna to do this now, we're implementing this law, and now we're reset for what's happening next. Tell me what's going on. So Jefferson, of course, <clears throat> excuse me, President Jefferson disguised, uh, makes his finding that the British are still impressing sailors. Meanwhile, the Brig Aurora is at sea with its American cargo. Sailing across the briny deep, it finally reaches Nolens, where it discovers that this law has been put into effect by the president. And the Brig Aurora is seized, her cargo taken, and it's sold, and we keep the money. Neener, neener, neener. The problem is that the cargo is owned by an American who rightfully objects to this, right? He's like, wait a sec. You can't just. You didn't take the Brit stuff. You took my stuff. It's not like being in Boston Harbor, right? So he files a lawsuit and this suit eventually makes its way through a court system that is filled with justices that were appointed by judges that don't like Thomas Jefferson at all. And so. They keep saying, oh, it's fine with us. It's fine with us. It goes all the way to the United States Supreme Court. When the United States Supreme Court takes a look at this, and of course the Supreme Court says, oh, you're absolutely right. The president can't make laws, and this was theft, and they owe you money, right? That's what the Supreme Court said. Of course not. The Supreme Court of the United States decided that, A, um, how can we get out of this and not get blamed for it? So they did a little bit of sleuthing and they discovered that the man who filed his claim, Benfield, quote, never proved that he was actually an American, unquote. <laughs> well, since he's not really an that American. That sounds a whole lot like today's, he doesn't have standing. Exactly. That's exactly uh. what it means. Since he never proved that he was an American, we don't really have to decide this. But if we did have to decide this, they added, we don't see any reason why the president, why, why the Congress of the United States can't pass off its responsibilities to the president of the United States and, uh, and make things happen that way. It makes sense to us, they decided. And so horrible. The, the cargo of the Brig Aurora is really the birth of passing off authority, legislative vesting authority to the United States president, which of course is exactly what the framers did not want. They didn't want one man in charge of everything, but the court managed to avoid any blame for it. Congress managed to avoid any blame for it. And the president of the United States, Thomas Jefferson, withdrew his finding. And eventually we ended up in the war of 1812 over this whole thing. Now you might think to yourself, well, Dave, that's just one isolated example. Jump ahead to 1933. 
1933, Bolivia and Paraguay get involved in a, a ridiculously stupid war the, over, over a desert. And the war is draining both of their armies. They're using up all their ammunition and weaponry and everything else. So they send agents out to the United States to buy weapons. Congress says, hey, this is a bad idea. We don't like this war. It's a bad war. So they get in session and they do what Congress does, right? Pass a, not a law. This time they just say, let's pass a joint resolution saying that the president should embargo arms against Bolivia. And the president, by this time FDR, looks at that and goes, hey, that's a good idea. I'll embargo arms. Well, in the meantime, United States arms companies, which of course are constituents of and heavy donors to political campaigns, have already mm-hmm. begun selling arms to Bolivia. So they object. They get, a charge, they get charged with selling illegal, illegally selling weapons. Well, it's not a law. How can it be illegal? It's just a joint resolution and an embargo. Again, this makes its way to the Supreme Court of the United States, which says, no, we're just fine with that. We don't have any problem with it. We're, we're, we're cool with the idea of the president being able to issue an embargo without legislative vesting. And now we've avoided any responsibility for anybody being held accountable for charging American citizens with illegally, that is against the law, which isn't a law, doing something that the president has decided is what he wants done. And nobody it seems sounds to. Sounds like we've got a pattern that's reoccurring here, Dave. And I want to get into that and see what else you've got for us in just a moment. First, O'Galley Electric is this hour's sponsor of our program. Chris Hughes, their president, outstanding guy, treats his employees so well. And in this employment environment, everybody's looking for employees, including O'Galley Electric. Well, if you're looking for an employer, you'd have a tough time finding a better one. Whether it's administration, sales, support, electricians, O'Galley Electric's looking for everybody. And it's a great place to work with amazing benefits. So reach out to O'Galley Electric if you're finding that next career choice for you. If you're looking for a uh, home standby generator, it's interesting. My family in West Virginia had uh, faced about a foot of snow yesterday, and my mom lost power. She doesn't have a generator for her home. But I saw another friend who, who did lose power, and the first suggestion from another friend of mine back home, this is all Facebook messaging, saying, you need a Generac. Well, you know the power outages we face here in Florida, and yes, a Generac home standby generator would be great for your home. O'Galley Electric's a major Generac supplier. They they warehouse these by the hundreds, and they've got them in stock. Some generator suppliers waited 36 weeks over the last year or so to get a generator in to be able to deliver to you. O'Galley Electric's got them, so reach out to them, 321-425-3343, and online at eggenerators.com. They're bringing you this hour of the show. Dave Bowman's with us. Dave, it looks like we've got a pattern of Supreme Court decisions and passing the buck in Washington, D.C. This is, uh, this is the D.C. two-step, man. This is it. We get stuff done, and we blame other people. So that when you get mad, well, it's not our fault. That's what Congress says today. It's not our fault. It's the president's executive order. Well, if the solution to that is just elect a Republican president, well, then the Democrats are mad because now he's just issuing executive orders. And none of this has to do with the legislative vesting clause which of course is that Congress is supposed to make laws. Mm-hmm. Somehow we've gotten there. So that brings me to the, the mandate, the Supreme court mandate last week. The ruling is, I, I don't know if you listened to the actual arguments. The arguments were just sad. I mean, there are countless articles on the, on the news these days about just how pathetic 
the justices questioning across the board for this mandate was. It isn't even until the end of the questioning, an hour and a half, that they go to uh, Justice Amy Coney Barrett, and she even brings up the idea of almost, is this really constitutional by, by questioning whether or not it's actually an emergency or not. But there's no discussion about anything from a constitutional standpoint, simply a power standpoint. Did Congress intend for OSHA to have this kind of power? Well, it's really an irrelevant argument to me because, again, it's legislative vesting. If it's not an emergency, then why is OSHA making rules? Mm-hmm. Or is it an emergency? And that's why OSHA can make rules. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. But nobody even got into that. The ruling itself is even sadder. As I said, the quote, of the, the quote, OSHA has never before imposed such a mandate, nor has Congress. Indeed, although Congress has enacted significant legislation, it has declined to enact any measure similar to what OSHA has promulgated here. In other words, the Supreme Court literally punted this thing back to Congress saying, hey, you can't do it that way. But you can't blame us because it's Congress's fault. It's not us saying you can't do it that way because it's unconstitutional or ill-advised. It's it's Congress's fault because they didn't do that. And then just to make sure that they completed the avoid any responsibility, blame somebody else routine, uh-huh. they didn't sign the, the ruling. The ruling is completely unsigned. Now we know who, who voted for it, but at, they didn't even bother to sign their names to it because that way nobody can and definitively we'll say it. up in just moments on WMMB. Stay with us. Is Bill Mick live? Common sense on Common Radio. O'Galley Electric making the hour possible. We may be on the verge of our first dual colors of the day. You'll find out later in the podcast section at BillMick.com and on the Bill Mick Live iHeartRadio channel. Of course, all of our callers to the program eligible to be a caller of the day. Dave Bowman with us from Silverdale, Washington, talking. Uh, the Supreme Court, Congress, the presidency, history related there too, and current events looking like they're not any different from events at the founding of the country. Dave, you mentioned that um, Congress was trying to avoid responsibility and put this on the president, that the president uh, eventually put it in play and then caved later when things got in front of the courts, and that the Supreme Court even tried to avert responsibility. Is anybody going to take any accountability in Washington, D.C.? Anybody going to step up and say, hey, the buck stops here? Not since Harry Truman, no. Um, this is, we, we had the caller last hour talking about uh, we, we need to hold Congress accountable. We need to hold their feet to the fire. This is, this is something we conservatives have been saying for a long time. I can go back to my radio time. It's what I said. But what I didn't realize then was that these people have mastered this. They have spent the better part of 250 years learning how to avoid responsibility and blame someone else. And in, in part, Bill, they try to make this as complicated as they can, see, because you don't know how this works. We know how it works. They make these laws so that they've delegated their authorities, which is questionable. They've gotten a court to support them doing it. And of course, what president isn't going to go along with that? Presidents love executive authority. They love things like the War Powers Act. They they love the idea that one man is running this country. That's why Joe Biden can 
issue a threat that he's going to issue an executive order telling your local, your local city how to do its policing. Because mm-hmm. why, would you, why would you run for the most powerful office in the world if you were limited by that pesky constitution thingy? Yeah, and you didn't want to wield power, right? Right, right. It's crazy. But yeah, these people... It's a good question. Yeah, these people have managed to... And it's easy to say, oh, it's, it started in the 60s or 70s or 80s or whatever, but it didn't. It started in 1798, really, with the Alien and Sedition Act, passed by a Congress that partly had written the First Amendment. But by that point, they didn't mm-hmm. care. They were so afraid, Bill. They were so locked into the, the fear porn of the day, which was that the French Revolution was going to come over and chop all our heads off, that they, they threw civil rights to the, to, the, to the birds in favor of safety and security. Let's get to a phone call or two, Dave. We go to line one to kick it off. Good morning. You're on Bill Live with Dave Bowman. Hey, good morning. This is the Palm Bay, Keith. Hey, Keith, what are you thinking, pal? Hey, uh, I got a comment and then a, a question. Um, or actually, a question first. Was it Jefferson, didn't he buy the Louisiana tor- Territory legally or unconstitutionally? And if that's true, how did he get away with it? That's the question. On the second one, you know, on on politicians, I, I've read somewhere, I'm not quite sure if it was from a book or Wikipedia, that it only took them like five years to figure out what I consider the most insidious tax ever placed on us, even worse than the death tax, is a property tax. Twelve states out of 13 developed a property tax in which you never own your property forever. The country owns the property. You might own your house, but you don't own your property. All right, Keith, thanks. Dave? So let's start with the Jefferson thing. Yes, Jefferson did buy the Louisiana Purchase. And yes, it was done essentially by executive order. This is a great example. We talked last week briefly about the Hamiltonian model and the Jeffersonian model. Remember that the Jefferson model is that the Constitution doesn't say you can do it, you cannot. Whereas the Hamiltonian model is if it doesn't say you can't do it, you can. So Jefferson is the ultimate Jeffersonian. But when the opportunity strikes in the early 1800s to buy Louisiana from the French, he sort of goes full Hamilton. And you know what they say, never go full Hamilton, but he did. And (laughs) at the end of the day, we own Louisiana. So really, Congress didn't seem to mind and it never really went to the courts. So there you go. As far as property taxes go, the, the key to what you're saying there lies into what in what you said, which was 12 of the 13 states. Now, remember, at the time, the state governments were in, were utterly independent and sovereign. And so they, they were not encompassed or encumbered by the 14th Amendment due process and incorporation. So they could do that. In, in fact, in the early days of this country, states didn't have to abide by the Fifth Amendment. They could take your property without compensation. And the Supreme Court was just fine with that because the states were not subject to the fifth amendment, unless your state constitution had an amendment to that. So if your state decided they were going to tax property, well, you might want to take that up with your state legislature and government governor, because that's who was doing it. Not the federal government. More. We'll have more calls ahead in just 60 seconds here on bill McLaughlin.
Chateau Madeline, another of our sponsors on Bill McLive, a place where you'll find resort-style senior living and memory care. We want the best for our senior loved ones, and so do they at Chateau Madeline. I've talked to the employees there. I've seen the facility. It's an absolutely beautiful place, a place where you have a real beautiful home with the amenities that you'd find on a cruise ship or a resort, from a bar and restaurants to a cafe, game rooms, outdoor patios, an outdoor party tent for events each week, all the transportation you might expect. And on the uh, memory care side, uh, considering the whole person, from intellectual, emotional, and spiritual issues to um, the physical needs that that patient may have. It's a multifaceted approach, a place where life can get better. Learn more at SuntreeSeniorLiving.com or give them a call and schedule a tour now at Chateau Madeline, 321-701-8000. Dave Bowman with us as we take a look at history every Tuesday at 8 o'clock on Bill Live. Dave, let's get back to the phones. Good morning. You're up next with Dave. What's on your mind? Ah, Dave Bowman. You're just the guy I want to talk with. I've been looking into, uh, you know, friends of mine and I, into uh, the 1803, the Marbury versus Madison, in which the Supreme Court uh, declared that the Constitution was supreme. The constitutional law was the supreme law of the land. And, but then they also con- uh, declared themselves to be the arbiter of what or is, is or is not uh, uh, constitutional, <laughs> which was kind of a, an odd thing, you know. Uh, what do you think about that? Thanks, Mario. Appreciate you being here, Dave. Yeah, that's the the yeah. fame. The claim to fame from Marbury versus Madison is the claim that the paraphrased the Constitution says what we decide it says. This was uh, this was one of the earliest cases in the country, and it was a real test between the power of the court and the legislative and the executive. We have this myth, Bill, and I'm not sure where this myth developed. We have this myth that we have three co-equal branches of government. I suspect uh-huh. that it comes from Christian doctrine because we have the, you have the Trinity, the co-equal in power and glory modes of God and that sort of thing. But it was never intended to be three co-equal branches of government. The, con- the, the Congress was supposed to be supreme, the executive, the second most powerful, and the, and the, the court, the least powerful of the three. And it, you can see this in the Federalist Papers. You can see it just in the way the Constitution is written. But Marbury versus Madison, they uh, they made it clear that no, oh, no, we're putting on the big boy panties and we're going to play at the ta- at the same table as the other two of you, and and it means what we say it means, and if you want to keep us happy, you better keep us happy. Otherwise, we're going to say it doesn't mean what you want it to mean; it means what we want it to mean. And ultimately, that's where we've that's where we've been ever since. So we've just landed with the Supreme Court's going to make the supreme decision, and we're going to live with it. Pretty Unless much. the Biden administration, now, in, which he, in which case he says, never mind what they say, go ahead and put a mandate in for your employees anyway. Now, keep in mind, there have been a couple of occasions where the, where the Congress has said, we're going to rein you in. And so they have specifically passed law, because remember, Article 3 puts this whole, the jurisdiction question in the hands of Congress. And yeah, they can take issues out of the Supremes' hands. Exactly, and they have done that in the past where they've said, no, you have no jurisdiction in this matter, and gone on to do what they want to do. And it's kind of like, it's funny to see the Supreme Court stand there like, well, now what? Now what do we do? So, but it has happened. Well, and you mentioned Congress doing certain things. Another thing that aggravates me and a lot of folks in this audience to no end is that Congress has checked a lot of their responsibility to the bureaucracy. They give 
the ATF and the Justice Department and, and the Department of Health and Human Services, the ability to make rules, and, and any other agency you want to throw in there, to make rules, and those rules have the full force and effect of law, and Congress has never passed a thing that says that's how the law is going to be. They've just passed laws that say, we're giving you the power to make a law. That seems to me like a big shirking responsibility of Congress. Well, this is, and, but this is exactly what they did in 1809, Bill. I mean, give somebody else the responsibility and therefore the blame if anything goes wrong and pretend that we have oversight. I mean, this is what they've been doing, again, for the better part of 250 years. It's, it's questionable. Is it constitutional? You and I think it's not. But unfortunately, we have 200 years of Supreme Court ruling saying that they're just fine with it because of, again, Marbury versus Madison. It means what they say that means. So really, the only solution is to get a Congress that's, you know, got its pants on and is going to take charge, a president that, that, that doesn't want all this executive authority, a Washington, as it were, and a court then that gets replaced with justices who, who read it that way. But until, you, you know, starry daces and all that, these, these judges today, even the conservative ones, are not going to back away from that because this has been set precedent for more than 200 years. Dave, you're taking me back to the pessimism that started our 7 o'clock hour. Sorry. This Roy's going to call me and yell at me. <laughs> um, it seems that it's going to fall to we the people to be engaged and to be putting the proper people in these offices. But the other problem we see when that occurs is after so often, after so long a period of time, they seem to be swallowed by the bubble that is the beltway around D.C., and it's difficult to be effective. The power structure in either House of Congress is set that if you've got some seniority, you've got some power, and if you don't, you don't. It's the eternal problem, isn't it? The British refer to this as house training. You, it, and I used to say this on the air. It doesn't matter who you send to Washington or Sacramento. It doesn't matter how conservative they are. Within a year, two years at the outside most, they're going to be absorbed into the system because power is power, Bill. It's what people want. And once they get a taste of that power, you know, you can't be the Speaker of House of the House if you're not a junior, a junior congressman. So if you go to Congress for one term and get thrown out, you're never going to be Speaker of the House. And everybody wants to be Speaker of the House, third in line to the presidency. You want, to, you want to get more power. And the only way to do that is to stay in power. And so everything they do is toned and, and guided to staying in power. And that if that means confusing the hell out of you, then so even if we find the proverbial good man, he's yep. not going to be that way very long. No, he's not. Sorry, I don't mean to be depressing, but no, he's not going to be. Dave, I didn't want to end the show on this note, man. You got to give me some optimism here somehow. Well, the Rams looked good last night. There's something to be optimistic about. <laughs> and they don't play in Seattle. So there you go. Dave Bowman, it's always an interesting and fun look at history when you're here. I appreciate it, my friends. I've linked the story um, that Dave brought as we started this up on the WMMB Facebook page as well. It's also at BillMick.com, so find it all there. Dave, you doing any uh, looking in the crystal ball to see what you may have next Tuesday? You know, we had that question last week about the 17th Amendment. We may go there unless something else comes along. And, and we may be at war by then, too, so we may have to look at that. Yeah, that's all there and possible in front of us. Dave Bowman, it's always a pleasure, my friend. I look forward to talking to you next Tuesday. See you then. Yeah.
Oh, Galley Electric made this hour possible. Don't forget, five after nine o'clock, you're going to have another cue to cue to uh, enter the contest, our nationwide grand in your hand contest. That'll happen through our six p.m. hour today. A thousand bucks an hour at five after. Keep listening and go win money. Wide open Wednesday tomorrow. We'll see what's really on your mind then. I'll see you in the morning at six.